0: Networking is not about delivering the packets. I All mean, right, it is that, right? But the user experience the network delivers also matters. Sponsor Juniper Networks invites you to sign up for an SD WAN demo to see exactly how to deliver great user experience. Sign up at juniper.net slash sdwan demo. That's juniper.net slash sdwan hyphen demo.
1: Welcome to the IPv6 Buzz podcast, where we dare to dive into the 128 bit address space wormhole. Quick reminder there are sponsorship opportunities available for our IPv6 Buzz and all the other Packet Pusher podcast shows. So if you're interested, go to packetpushers.net slash sponsorship. You can get all the details. And if you got something cool working with v6, we definitely want to hear about it. So hey, come join us. We want to hear about all the cool stuff that you got working with v6. Um, I'm at Horley with my co-host Tom Coffeen and Scott Hogan. Today, we're going to be talking about IPv4 thinking. Yes, how can we possibly be talking about that on an IPv6 show? But we are, and we're going to talk about it because Johannes Weber, uh, you know, called us out on Twitter, and said we haven't mentioned it in the last ten episodes. So we're going to jump in and, and talk a little bit about IPv4 thinking, which I guess we should really start off with describing what exactly that is. What is IPv4 thinking, you guys? Or what do we think it is, anyway?
2: <laughs> well, for me, like, there's definitely a specific um, a connection to IPv6 address planning, and I, that's probably why it ended up in my book is exactly that phrase. And it's really just about the idea that you've got this very limited amount of IPv4 address space, and the way that you get around. Managing that, or not managing it, as the case may be, managing it desperately to to the best of your ability is is to constantly be carving up subnets using bit boundaries to uh you know to just preserve host addresses, and so so that's a very specific case of IPv4 thinking. But I was kind of excited when when we talked about doing this as a show because it 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 made me realize like immediately there's a number of other cases of IPv4 thinking that impact IPv6 and kind of get me out of my IPv6 address planning bubble. Um, So with that out of the way, maybe we can pivot to one of the other IPv4 thinking instances.
3: I think IPv4 thinking is just this Foreboding feeling that <laughs> you're running out and you're <laughs> and oh my gosh, you know, can I splurge and use the slash 27? Or should I be more conservative and use a 28? Well, how long will that last me? Will a new requirement, you know, rear its ugly head? Now I need to go and back and change the the prefix mask of all those hosts. Oh my gosh, you know, it's this fear and loathing that I'm running out and I'm readdressing, and it's like you know, you're running faster and faster and you're hustling, but you're not making any.
2: <laughs> that sounds <laughs> like IPv4
3: in
1: despair. <laughs> That's me poor thinking, yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I have a similar sentiment to Scott because I think one of the things, the greatest fear factor that you have as a network engineer is that, you know, you set up all this nice, you know, sort of bit math and you've gone through all this stuff. And then all your host OS folks set up like the totally wrong subnet mask and like just... Completely, and you end up with like resources in the wrong network with the wrong VLAN tag, like, and everything's just crumbling before you as your wonderful design goes out the window and you have to do like horrible, like, oh, I'm going to have to super net this thing and waste a bunch of address space that I originally allocated for some other purpose because, well, they just put the wrong subnet, and they're not willing to go back and change it. That's right. <laughs>
3: Yeah, Yeah, I think we've all I think we've all been there, right? Yeah, Yeah, I'm on like the fifth slash twenty eight, and what's the network number and what's the broadcast number and?
1: Or they come back to you number
3: and oh, I got to create a mask, a reverse mask for this.
1: Uh, Yeah, (laughs) yeah, and then you get the finally get to the conversation where they come back to you and say like, you know what, we need twice as many resources as what we originally told you, and you're like, hmm. Okay. <laughs> All right. What do you what do you do at that point? Do you just like say forget it and turn everything to, you know, and just open it open it back up? But if you already signed resources, then you're telling them you tell them to have to do an address change or do you just say, forget it all and do NAT inside of NAT inside of NAT inside of NAT. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Maybe.
3: I think you just rely a lot on ProxyArp to just sort out the masks that are incorrect. <laughs> you know, for hosts that have incorrect masks, you just, I hope proxy
2: ARP will just somehow find the MAC address. <laughs> and it, and it actually does. <laughs> 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 and after all these years of... And that, I guess that's a special case that I wanted to bring up about IPv4 thinking that And this is something that, uh, you know, way back in the day when when I first started playing around with it, it it was always, you know, it was like back in the days of IPv6 brokenness before happy eyeballs when you had hosts that thought they were connected to the v6 internet and then just couldn't get anywhere and sat there timing out trying to use IPv6 before falling back to IPv4. And I was like, well, there's IPv6 brokenness. IPv6 is broken. It's like, yeah, but we never talk about all the ways, and proxy ARP is the exception here, all the ways in which IPv4 is broken in, in its deployment. You know, it's just like the technical debt of all the ways that we've worked around IPv4 being broken. And that's setting aside just the address supply problem and, you know, having to rely on Mm NAT. Um, we, you know, so in a way that's kind of like a, a sort of, uh, an, unfairly optimistic view of IPv4 that comes out of that. It's like, well, I don't have all these problems with IPv4. Well, you sure do have a lot of problems with IPv4. You've just forgotten what they are because somebody else has solved it for you, you know, temporarily that, you know, turned into a permanent fix, et cetera. So I don't know, a special case of IPv4 thinking perhaps. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think, I think there was a lot of, I think a lot of V4 thinking comes along with the fact of living with the limitations of V4. I think to, to me that maybe is the crux of it is that, mm-hmm. It's the choice of living within that constraint, and it's very hard to to escape outside of that framing. What I what I consider it sort of framing V four thinking is framing, right? Of 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 the topic of of networking versus the topic of networking framing, and V four is just a subset of that bigger discussion. And V six should be in there as, a, as an additional sort of uh, component uh, with other protocols too in consideration. But I I think that's the Sort of maybe the definition is that you're stuck in that V4, you know, wall garden of of what's available to you, what tools are available to you, what uh, capabilities are available to you, what innovations available to you, and and that's what the trap is around V4 thinking.
3: Yeah, we're forgetting about the benefits of V4 thinking though, which is. It enforces micro segmentation. <laughs> you have <laughs> lots of networks with only four hosts on them or five hosts, and uh, lots of little tiny VLANs. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I mean the, the the other side of that is that you're also wasting your network in a network and a and a broadcast address every single time, with a few exceptions, obviously for the slash thirty one side of it, or for those that support it. But yeah, you know, I mean, you do you do pay a penalty, even though even though v four is desperately trying to you know retain addresses. Suddenly, you know network and broadcast is still a thing. And so you're you're still actually, you know, wasting a certain amount of address space regardless of what you're doing,
3: right? Yeah. The difficulty is you end up with lots of places in your network that might have overlapping address space. And so yeah. we've talked about how, you know, V4 addresses end up just being locally significant within that bubble, within right. that NAT bubble. And then in the next NAT bubble next to it, there's overlap. Mm-hmm. And if you're, in a security team and you're in a forensics team and you're like, oh, I just got an alert on my security information event management system for 10.1.1.1. Where is that? <laughs> <laughs> what, what system just got hacked? Right. I don't know because we have
1: five of those. <laughs> <laughs> if you're lucky, right? If you're lucky, i you only have that. Yeah. Well, let's pivot. Let's talk about that because that's a good, really great point about how V4 thinking maybe hurts your design, your architecture, your organization itself. Like, what, what do we think is actually... You know what do what do we think are those you know painful learned lessons about v4 thinking that might actually be detrimental?
2: Well, I think there's a there's an, a litmus test you can kind of use as as an architect if you're, you're dipping your toe in the water of IPv6 or you know even if you've been doing it a while, in terms of your architecture and your design, a way to sort of test for v4 thinking if you're if you've fallen victim to it and you're not really even aware that you have is are you are you still considering host address consumption? You know, right? So we talk about this. Right. There's there's always that, that phrase that pops up related to IPv4 addresses, IPv4 address efficiency. And that's always, you know, IPv4 efficiency is like tied back to how many host addresses am I consuming? So then with IPv6, you know, we always throw that out there when we're talking to, you know, folks that are new to it. Are you concerned about IPv6 host address exhaustion? If you are, then, um, you know we need to do a sanity check for you because and that's <laughs> involving any number of those those horly math exercises where we walk you through how just impossible it is to you know even conceive of the amount of host addresses that you have and you know a single slash sixty four subnet you know ten million addresses a second for you know run out in fifty eight thousand years that type of thing right so so maybe that's a good place to start for your own assessment you know it's like if I if, and and there's a lot of anxiety around this, and it's just programmed into us by years and years of of having to work with IPv4 and, and get by with it, as we've been talking about for for the rest of this podcast so far. Uh, you know, so are, am I thinking about host address consumption with v6? And if I am, then that's IPv4 thinking. I may be thinking about IPv6, but I'm falling victim to IPv4 thinking, and it's going to negatively impact my design. I should be thinking instead about IPv6 prefix consumption the number of
0: prefixes that i'm using or assigning somewhere i interrupt the crew doing their noble 128-bit work for a word from sponsor juniper networks the, the pitch is this and it's really straightforward juniper wants to put a better SD-WAN solution onto your network and they've put together something really interesting and they want you to check it out by visiting juniper.net sdwan hyphen demo Maybe you've got SD-WAN in-house already, and that's fair enough, but ask yourself this question. How capable is your SD-WAN? Is the SD-WAN you're running now delivering fine-tuned SLAs tied to different applications and even individual users? Is it scaling as large as you need it to as you look ahead? How's your visibility into what's really going on? When something is broken in the SD-WAN fabric, how hard is it to figure out what's really going on and resolve the issue? Can you confidently report what the user experience is for all of the applications running over the SD-WAN? Now, speaking of experience, Juniper believes that user experience is more important than metrics like uptime. I mean, uptime is important, right? But experience more so. Juniper SD-WAN, driven by Mist AI, provides superior user experience with a session-oriented architecture that can reduce latency by as much as 60%. Juniper users notice improvements to application performance. They have perfectly smooth, uninterrupted voice and video calls. Juniper SD-WAN claims infrastructure cost savings as well. How? Juniper is delivering tunnelless. SD-WAN, which is real. I am familiar with this tech. And that means you don't need a huge head-end box to do a bunch of tunnel terminations. Juniper claims up to a 75% reduction in your head-end infrastructure spend and up to a 50% reduction in bandwidth costs. Now, maybe you didn't even know that Juniper offered an SD-WAN solution. Look, the solution is worth adding to your research list. And the easiest way to get that research done, juniper.net slash SD-WAN hyphen demo. That's juniper.net. Slash SD WAN hyphen demo. And if you sign up, tell them you heard about it on IPv6 Buzz, part of the Packet Pushers Podcast Network. And now back to saving the world with IPv6.
1: Is there any other design or architecture, you know, negative impacts on the V4 side that we really think stand out? I mean, there's I I think at least the one for me that jumps out is is the lack of Sort of, you're cutting yourself off from the flexibility of of sort of decoupling the logic of a resource or a service that you want to provide Mm -hmm. from the addressing schema itself, right? And so in v4, we have to sort of do weird things around firewall rules and services and getting down to port numbers. And Kubernetes is a great example of this, right? Kubernetes deployments has to hide everything behind that because they're trying to deploy as many IP addresses behind that instance for running as many container workloads as possible to run as many services as possible. And then they have to come with a whole nother abstraction for service, quote unquote, discovery, because they're hidden behind an app service. And so they need a specific way to be able to publish service reachability, all because we're reusing v4 address space over and over and over again to expose services. And I feel mm-hmm. like this hurts the design and the fundamental architecture of trying to deploy large scale. Uh, services like that. I don't know Mm -hmm. if if there's similar sorts of arguments around the security side, Scott, around saying like you lock yourself into certain security models because of v4 thinking. Um, Yeah, because you're forcing all these points where
3: NATs take place. And so you probably are forcing firewalls in places where you could just with IPv6 simply just say, oh, we have these regions of global addresses and we break up our prefixes and then either we use routing or routing policy or an absence of a route to prevent these networks from talking to these networks and you don't always have to put in a stateful filter to make that happen and your because your access lists or your filters are a lot cleaner with ipv6 you just have big blocks here and there allocated and you just need to make sure those big blocks
1: can or can't talk to each other between those different networks of different levels of trust, right? And you don't care how many hosts are in that given network, right? It's like mm-hmm. you don't care if it's ten or ten thousand, mm-hmm. as long as they have the same security principle, you're you're good with it, right? In terms yeah. of in terms of how that lays out. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to use a, a slash 32 over
3: here and a 32 over here. I'm going to put a, a slash 40 over here and a slash 36 over here and they can't talk to each other. And OK, it's just a one line filter.
2: <laughs> right. <It's> pretty simple. <laughs> right. And then instead of the, the special case of the, uh, the wildcard bit masking that gets done in, in some organizations. Right, where it's like, uh, let's use the network mask to, to identify a collection of, of subnets. And then, you know, so then we get into the IPv6 thinking problem where it's like the guy that comes along and has only ever used CIDR uh, notation and, and uh, the, the neat boundary that CIDR notation gives them. And they're trying, trying to, IPv4 engineers trying to explain how wildcard masking works. And it's like, what, what the heck is a network mask? Why do you need that? That's, <laughs> that's an ugly appendage on the address. It's like, oh, that poor guy, he's suffering from IPv6 thinking. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Or or the network engineer. I don't even know all the networks. I can't even list them all in IPv4. So really, I just tag them when I hear them and I or with a community or something, and Mm. then I match on that tag or that community somewhere else down the line. And hopefully that'll figure out. But I can't even list them. I don't even know all of them that are in a security zone. So I just hope that when I hear them coming in from this region, I
1: assume they're from that security domain, <laughs> I guess. Right. right. And then you you don't even necessarily know if things like NAT translation are working the way that you anticipate or expect, or if someone went in and changed it and moved it to a different network space. That's the other thing that has got to be incredibly dangerous for, for large-scale operators is that someone comes along and says, like, well, you know, we're currently NAT translating to this, you know, 10.2.2 space, but you know what? We're just merging with another company. They're using ten two two, so we're going to reassign that. I'm going to make it ten, you know, two hundred two hundred. Well, <laughs> what happens everywhere, right? Like yeah, I, I, yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: Because I have a a firewall filter that right matches interesting traffic and then puts
1: pushes it down the IPsec tunnel or something. Right. So you just, but it can be an arbitrary decision that's made at a a certain point. It's not like you're using true global unicast addresses and you know what those functions are. So I think that's one of the other challenges that goes along with it. And I guess that could be true in V6 too, but I I I think it would be less common to like. There's no reason to readdress in V6 with a global unicast unless you're, you know, really doing something. Maybe strange or or serving a particular function
2: that you're trying to trying yeah, to do something exactly, and that's really I think where we're trying to get to the the whole notion of of IPv4 thinking and why it has to be sort of broken down and metabolized and eliminated uh, is is we, we're not used to thinking about having you know unambiguous non-overlapping address space to use operationally and and that that how many problems that ends up solving it's like i think we're you know just entering that phase where we're beginning to solve problems with the the reality of that expanded address you know non-overlapping address space and at some point it will become you know very much sort of second nature and we'll just assume it in our design and we'll take advantage of it in in ways uh, and directly and indirectly and and not not think about it too much but but i don't think we i don't i don't know what you guys think but i don't think we're really there yet. I mean, it's just, and again, part of that is just because you still got this appendage of the legacy network that you have to run yeah. that's IPv4 and and you still have to bring, you still have to, no matter how, uh, you know, careful you're trying to be about, you know, making sure that you're taking advantage of IPv6, you you have to spend a certain amount of every day mm-hmm. in IPv4 land and and the thinking that goes along with that. And so right. IPv4 thinking is sort of ends up being enforced in ways, uh, you know both obscure and and obvious so mm-hmm. that's something to something to overcome yeah
3: i mean we've worked
2: with engineers and helped
3: teach them about ipv6 addressing and we've all heard those comments like oh man you know ipv6 so much simpler wow this is elegant the addressing plan we have is is beautiful and clean and has lots of space and room to grow Oh man, and then I had to go back and work on the IPV4 network yesterday and oh what a drag, you oh, I had all these struggles <laughs> and you know, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, why couldn't V4 be more like IPV6?" You know, Cuz when you work in a in a dual protocol network, you know, as you work on the V6 project, you're like, "Man, this is this is refreshing." And then you go back to the V4 day job and you're like, "Oh my god, <laughs> this is operationally horrifying." <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, I can I can imagine that that's that's got to be um, a level of frustration that you don't want to about too often, right? <laughs> but oh. I well, let's let's talk about maybe that direct impact, which is because we're flipping from sort of V six thinking to V four thinking. But maybe are there negative outcomes that happen from V four thinking? that maybe dominate a V6 design. And this is where I think we pay the biggest penalty, Uh, right? mm -hmm. As, 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 as network engineers, I think this is the thing that probably has the longest term outcome in terms of what goes on when too much V4 thinking makes it into your V6 design.
3: Well, yeah, what I think what happens is your V4 limitations drive your either data center architecture, your WAN architecture, There's some limiting factor, and then you're like, well, okay, I got to split all these up into lots of little tiny, okay, now I go to add IPv6 on top of it, so I'm just layering on a new veneer of a layer three addressing structure, v6, on top of that, but the v4 has driven the VLAN design, and now you go to add on just simply slash 64s, but now there's these concepts of a V4 that have driven the VLAN or the physical topology design. And now you're, that has, (laughs) then your V6 is having to deal
2: with that. Yeah. You're having to shoehorn the V6 design into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, I think this, I
1: guess it manifests itself in weird ways, right? We've all been, we've all sat in the meetings, and Tom especially, I'm sure is the, it's super painful to watch people take their literally their V4 address space and be like, "We want this represented in our V6 <laughs> <these six laughs> addresses themselves." Like, I'm getting down to the technical level, right? But still, this is the sort of negative outcome of of, of so tightly coupling mm-hmm. these two resources together when they really don't need to be in that way, right? From a thinking perspective. But it also reinforces a whole set of design patterns around assumptions around your V4 architecture that just end up being de facto into your V6 architecture, right? Right, right.
2: Mm -hmm. You're privileging the V4 architecture, you know, just based on inertia. I mean, that's just how you run it and that's how you want to continue to do it. And that's how I think you end up risking the own goal of, okay, well, I'm going to tie everything in V6 back to V4. And that's, you know, we mentioned at the outset, or I mentioned at the outset, the, the specific technical case of V4 thinking of being concerned about host address consumption versus thinking about, you know, in V4 versus thinking about prefix consumption in V6 and why, you know, we just don't care about host address consumption in V6. Mm-hmm. But you bring up that that critically important blunder in network design where I'm going to tie everything that I'm doing in, in V4 into whatever I deploy with V6. Mm-hmm. And boy, that is that is sort of the mother of all mistakes where V4 yeah. thinking is concerned Because it's just like you know, why are you consigning the future of your network to you know a design that's driven by the legacy protocol and the protocol that that will go away? I mean, it's not you know it's not happening next week, but where we're trying to get to, and you know, look at the the federal government leading the charge in terms of setting the mandate to go IPv6 only. You know, we'll get there, and then then you've got this vestigial network design that's very much based on what worked in v4, and so we shoehorned everything v6 into it and. You know, the, the, what a total missed opportunity on multiple, you know, levels, administrative, operationally, architecturally, etc. Yeah. Right. An, an example of this is, oh, I have my data VLAN
3: 192.168.100 dot something slash 24. And then I have my voice VLAN 192.168.110. Dot right. something slash right. 24. And it's VLAN 100 and it's VLAN 110. And the network engineer knows, oh, 100 and 110, and that's ingrained in their mind. And so then when you want them to think about, think creatively about an IPv6 addressing plan, they're like, well, it's, it's 100 and 110. That's what right. comes to mind when they think about these Points in their topology that have a function. And so they just can't break away from 100 and 110, which are decimal numbers. Mm -hmm. Right.
1: Yeah. I think that's a, a, I think both your points are are really relevant in terms of like where you fall down. And and I think this is particularly acute when you're using RFC 1918 address space. If you're, you know, most enterprise organizations, you're probably making use of RFC 1918. and, And so Embedding that information in your V6 design just becomes so problematic um, uh, in terms of trying to make something, um, you know, functionally useful in terms of data sets of information. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, you could you could absolutely assign different prefixes and then still provide the, the, the V4-related information downstream. And there might be an argument if you're using public V4 address space that you might want to embed portions of that in the V6 from a corresponding design basis. Um, for other reasons, right. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily for, not necessarily for like tracking addresses, but for, you know, friendliness around DNS lookups and things like things of that nature. Right. Mm -hmm. Then you get down the whole rat hole of like, how do you express the address? Right. And like, you know, there's, there's just other things that go along with it. And I think it's very problematic. And I think it, it also lends itself to both your, being constrained from a security design model, being constrained from um, uh, a thought process about how logical entities should be broken up, uh, underlays, overlays, like there's all sorts of design architecture issues that you're just immediately constrain yourself to the way V4 would do it, including the size and bound of a network. And I think that's really important to think. Well, in V4, if I can only the only network size that we ever allocated was up to a slash twenty two is the largest, or you know whatever. Uh, that it would be or slash 21 or slash 20 well that's just not the same constraint that exists in v6 at all right mm-hmm. so right. why are you artificially trying to set some sort of boundary domain about how that size network should should function or operate right mm-hmm. yeah.
2: yeah and, and so. you really and that's at the core of all of this right i mean this is you, you just have to constantly test yourself to make sure that you're not limiting your design based on you know, ideas that you've dragged with you from IPv4. That's the uh, I think the essence right. of IPv4 thinking when it comes down to it. Right. That that you know, constant awareness that there there are restrictions that I'm going to naturally place on my own designs, and and have mm-hmm. I thought through why I've done that? And and the yeah. answer might be operationally or administratively. There's a good reason to do it, and it makes sense, mm-hmm. and it's going to it's going to be extensible, and and you're going to use that that design principle or that operations principle in, in V6, and it's going to work for you, and and. It's, If it came out of V4, that's fine. You know, that's not everything that that you're going to take from the the V4 land is going to immediately be toxic in IPv6. But you you need to have that. That needs to be a reflex where you're you're testing your thinking on it. Am I only doing this Mm -hmm. because this is how I've always done it in IPv4? And then it's like, you know, grandma, why are you cutting the head off the fish? And, you know, when the pan's big enough, it's like, well, that's, you know, that's how we always did it back when the pan wasn't big enough. So, sorry. It's kind of a gross <laughs> example, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah but I mean, like we've all seen the tendency or felt the tendency
3: when we were moving from V four to V six. We said, okay, so it's VLAN one hundred. So I'm going to take that decimal number and I'm going to convert it to a hexadecimal number. So one hundred becomes six four in hex, and one ten becomes six e in hex. And now I have to remember six four and six e. <laughs> And who can do that math in their head? This, you know, that's that knee-jerk or temptation to say, I must make meaning of this yeah. instead of right. having just a completely different mindset for V6 that's completely separate from V4. And you could start fresh. And it can be just as intuitive,
2: right? but it's not intuitive for a human to convert. Decimal That's right. And then you have to prioritize which of your IPv4 thinking mistakes is, are the, is, is the more <laughs> egregious, right? Because it's like, okay, look, I can throw, I can take, I can use, you know, 62% of, uh, only 62% of the available uh, addresses in a slash 48 or a slash, you know, uh, uh, 52 to, to number into my extended VLANs. And you mm-hmm. know, and and I'll do that. I'll throw away all the hexadecimal characters so that everything just right. looks like it's decimal, even though they're actually hexadecimal addresses. Right. And so, on right. the one hand, it's like, well, great, you're comfortable with just using as many V6 addresses as you need. Uh, on the other hand, <laughs> you're 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 pretty much trying to do everything to avoid having to think about hexadecimal in your power. So, so which is the more egregious error from a V4 thinking standpoint?
1: Just, I think this is this dovetails directly to what you need, what you tell everyone to do, Tom, which is sparse allocation.
2: <laughs> A through F is held in reserve. <laughs> right,
3: right, right. Yeah. Well, you know,
2: yeah. That, that works, too. Hey, <laughs>
3: hey,
1: whatever happened to rate spars? Come on.
3: <laughs> <Rates bars. laughs>
1: well, I I, th- I think this is one of those funny things where it comes down to like, uh, you know, if you're scripting, may- and maybe this is a point that we need to talk about, uh, you know, where who needs to actively avoid v- v4 thinking. If you're scripting and you're not using the Python libraries to fix up your addresses, moving from v4 to v6, you might be in for a whole set of surprises <laughs> about- about your configuration deployment and what works and what doesn't. Um, so you know yeah. maybe maybe that's one of the things to think about. There are actual real world impacts of some of the decisions you're going to make in terms of practical application, and this might be one of those use cases where you know maybe things like leading zeros have different meanings in V4 versus V6, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and how many you know what what your address what's what's a legitimately formatted address, which you know versus one that is not. And uh, and what sort of impact embedded information in the last sixty four is versus in the uh, <laughs> it all boils down portion. to
2: to what extent did they ignore RFC fifty nine fifty two yes um, yeah but no it's a great point and and uh, and and in a way it's like well you, this is maybe perhaps one of those areas where you have to think more about it in V six than because you don't have to think about it in V four right I mean not really formatting with a dotted decimal it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, uh, with all the rules related to compression, concatenation, and v6 addressing, then yeah, you, something you definitely have to pay attention to. Well, that, no,
1: no one gets the opportunity to use zero compression in P4. Although now with Cloudflare, thankfully, you can you can ping one dot one, and it will work. <laughs> you get the one dot zero dot zero dot one. It actually, you know, the zero compression works for you there. But how often do we have two zeros? We'll go zeros ahead, we'll in go ahead and pause while you do
2: that at home. <laughs> I, can hear, I, can, I can hear the heads exploding all over the. well <laughs> they're doing that they could ping 2600
3: colon colon and right see what happens
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> well yeah assuming they got their v6 up and running then yeah go, go have fun with that one too i yeah it definitely it's definitely uh really fascinating to sort of talk through that space because there's lots of interesting things that go on with just the formatting side. And can I embed my V4 information? What's useful out of it? How do I represent it? So I think there's a lot of things that just, um, you know, the V4 thinking is going to impact how you operate uh, your, your V6 network and, you know, and what, what, what's good and useful information and how's it being stored and is it being stored in a regular way that makes sense. So yeah, it's definitely important stuff to sort of, sort of think your way through, which maybe gets to the bigger discussion of like, this obviously impacts a lot more than just network operators, right? Uh, the networking clearly needs to think about it from a design and architecture standpoint, but, you know, if you're a security person or if you're a systems person or if you're a, you know, you're in there dealing with logging and, and monitoring. This this stuff's going to impact you, you know, in terms of in terms of sort of where v four thinking it might impact um, uh, the output of of useful information in the system that you're that you're actually operating, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like forensic security analysis,
3: or even help desk. Like, mm-hmm. hey, I want to screen share to help you, you know, user troubleshoot your problem. What's what's your address? <laughs> oh it's 192.168.1.2. 168 1.2. oh i can't screen share with you <laughs> <laughs> for some reason
1: right right yeah that's exactly right and and i think we do get trapped by this and so this is one of the unfortunate pitfalls if we're not thinking carefully around that. So I don't know, what's, what's, what's our tips, what's our advice? Cause I I think that's what most of the listeners are going (laughs) to be like, that's great. Okay. You told us what the problem space is. (laughs) Tell us how to get out of it.
2: Right. Uh, Well, I'll put my, uh, IPv6 address planning hat on again. And, and the, the two that we mentioned related to, you know, don't make the mistake of, of, of over considering host address consumption on the V6 side, I would argue you shouldn't be considering it really at all be thinking in terms of prefix consumption instead and then the second one would be you know avoid any temptation to map what you're doing in v4 into v6 with the awareness that you know v4 is the goal is to make v4 go away and you mm-hmm. know what is dual stack today and ipv6 only tomorrow anything that you do to tie your existing ipv4 network design into your ipv6 uh, it, it, design is going to cause you headaches sooner than later. So those are the two biggest examples of IPv4 thinking that I think you know, yeah. folks need to watch out for. Yeah, I'd say just what
3: clean slate. Wipe the slate clean. Start from a fresh mindset. Imagine you don't know anything about IPv4 and start with just v6 cleanly. Yeah, because you're right, Tom, because at the end, you might turn off IPv4. Then you're left with an IPv6 addressing plan that's tied to some legacy protocol that doesn't even run on the network anymore. That would be weird. And then you'd have to explain to new network engineers why it was done that way. Oh, well, there was this old thing that doesn't exist anymore that now we're tied to, you know,
1: that would be all those old IPX names still (laughs) hanging around
2: in your (laughs) notes. I going to say
1: that. I I mapped my NSAP addresses into my IPV4. So here we are. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I think the other thing that's super helpful for folks is it also, V4 uh, thinking is going to limit how you think about your overall IPv4 or IPv6 allocation plan. And um, so I'm going to call Tom out for missing this one on on his, uh, v, his address planning thinking hat. Ooh, <laughs> so, <yes>. Right? <laughs> but the big picture is, the reality is, is that I think people aren't being expansive in terms of thinking about what they need to and how they can actually use V6 addressing and, and the address absolutely. space. Yeah. And, and that's a, that's a great detriment. And there's a lot to learn there and probably a whole episode that we can do just about talking about that sort of concept. So maybe we parking lot that one and, and, uh,
2: and now we have a future episode to do
1: Woohoo, one more,
2: but, <laughs> yeah. but, but I you're think you're absolutely I, right. Ed, and, and, and shame on me for neglecting that. That's, that's the implication of, of, you know, moving away from thinking about host address consumption and thinking in terms of consuming prefixes, that that directly impacts the size of allocation that you should be asking for, because when it comes mm-hmm. time to think about how many pref- prefixes you need, again, the the goal is about taking advantage of the space that's available, the prefix space that's available, and and not constraining your design based on being worried about over consuming prefixes. So yeah, it's, it's a great number. Point. It's the number of networks, not the, the number, number of hosts, right? <laughs> yeah. And making right. sure that you you're going to get enough prefixes uh, to supply you with the you know the network scale that you're going to need over the next 20 to you know 50 years instead of just thinking about you know hey this will be good for me for the next you know two years or whatever it is and then I'm gonna have to go back and get more addresses get enough addressing to start with Get a large enough prefix to start with
1: and Mm -hmm. and stick to your nibble boundaries so plan your nibble boundaries so that way yes exactly yeah
2: awesome well
1: you guys I think we covered it there I mean Mm -hmm. I I don't know is there anything else that we wanted to chat through around before thinking did we constrain ourselves too much about talking about V4 thinking to force us into V4 thinking? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I'm not feeling any IPv4 despair, so I think we're okay. Ah, all yes. right. <laughs> cool. Well, unlike V6, we run
1: out of space for the podcast. You can reach the IPv6Buzz podcast on Twitter. It's at IPv6Buzz. You can also hit up each one of us on Twitter. Tom is at IPv6Tom. Scott is at Scott Hoog, And I'm at eHorley. And thanks for listening to the V6Buzz You can find us on Packet Pushers or any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for IPv6 Buzz. Um, If you like the show, please give us a rating on iTunes. And if you like this podcast, we really recommend you check out Heavy Networking, Day2Cloud, and the Network Break podcast, plus all the other great technical content over PacketPushers.net. So long, and until next time, we'll see you on the internet. The IPv6 internet, that is.
0: Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space. IPv6.